Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm Emily Danielson. Time for part three of the series, Joseph, God Meant It For Good. In part three, Chris gives a message that impacted all who have heard it. It is so timely for us in our modern day and all the events surrounding us right now. The title is called Devastating Setback of Crushed Dreams. A quick reminder, Bible Idiots is now the podcast platform for the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson, also known as Mr. Bible Idiot. And we will return with the Chris and Emily show under a new banner in the near future. But the Bible Idiots brand now will be exclusively for deeper outreach and teaching. But for this spring, these four parts of the Joseph series is what we can provide you to encourage you in your walk with Christ. So if you have a Bible or device nearby, open it up to Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 35, and may the Lord bless you as you listen. I, I was getting ready to, as we're walking out into the garage this morning, I'm like, oh, I got to get to the church. I got to make, I got to edit some of my sermon. I said, I got, I got 10 pounds of sermon in a five pound bag again this week. And Emily's like, you do that every Sunday. So here we go. This one, I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis 37. It will be to your benefit to have your Bibles open. But I'm going to have this verses on the screen, and it's a long run. It's, it's verses 12 through 35 is our text this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word as we read the text today and get this thing going. The title of the message is devastating setbacks of crushed dreams. Genesis 37, verses 12 through 35, I read in Jesus' name. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, go and see your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the Hebron Valley and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? Well, they moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him, throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed any blood. Throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal, and when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilad. The camels were carrying aromic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and lay not a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. 
When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, we found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Speak to your children now. Let these be your words to your folks. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. This is one of those bridge messages in the series of Joseph. This is uh, Sermons 3. And I know a lot of times I've seen Joseph messages over the years, and it's easy to gloss past this and just do it as a backlash. Yeah, his brothers did that, and then he went on and went to Potiphar's house, and then he became the prime minister of Egypt, and then he saved all of Israel from famine. And you get into that aspect of it and you kind of skip this because this is hard. This is, this is not sunshine, you know, rainbows and llamas today. But it's necessary because the end of the day, the goal is to look at Jesus and Joseph, Joseph being a parallel to Jesus. And what does that mean in our lives? So we start by asking ourselves, what dreams have we had? that have been shattered? What kind of experience of heartbreak have we had to go through in life? Now, I've met with a lot of people over a lot of years, and I still have yet to meet somebody that has any experience in life whatsoever that hasn't experienced some sort of heartbreak or setback. It happens to all of us. You know, the bottom falls out from everything from time to time. Maybe, maybe it's a child that didn't turn out the way you envisioned it was supposed to be. Maybe it was a financial setback that broke your heart. Maybe it was a marriage that went south. Maybe it was a, a life just full of shattered dreams. And I've told you about how sin has affected us and how we are all on the salvage pile of life. And Jesus, while we were yet sinners, plucked us off that salvage pile to make us redeemed. We no longer wander around, oh, we're so broken in our brokeny brokenness. No, we are whole now because of Jesus Christ. We glance back at our brokenness, we recognize where we're from, and that keeps us from living in arrogance. Paul had something like that. He called it a thorn in the flesh. We've been given the scriptures to remind us daily about how we are no longer broken, but brokenness is where we come from. So our dreams are shattered. It often leaves us devastated, confused, and upset. Sometimes we might be tempted to think, oh, God's forgotten about us. Or, you know, maybe that, that dream wasn't legit, you know? You, you might even wonder if God's forgotten about what he promised in his word. You ever been so bummed out, you go to the Psalms and read God his promises and say, you said this? I have. And I'm not talking about dreams like my dream when I was a kid. I had two, well, three. One was broadcasting, but the other two was I wanted to be in the NHL and I wanted to be in the NFL. And I got to tell you, last April, for the 33rd year in a row, I was passed over at the draft. <laughs> Why they wouldn't want a 58-year-old with a golden arm, it's beyond me. I don't understand it. Not, but we're talking about other kind of dreams that God lays on your heart. 
where it's not fantasy, it's not daydreams, it's not, you know, I wanted to be in those sports because I wanted some glory. Because I, I love the glory the athletes got when I was growing up. I wanted some of that. And I was pretty good. And God said, you're going to be five foot eight. It's over. And we move on. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the other kind of dreams. And you, you know what I'm talking about. God lays them on your heart. And you just want to see the kingdom advanced. And yet you go and you try to do things and things just don't work out. And I wonder how Joseph felt as the events of the passage worked themselves out. I wonder if he questioned the dreams God had given him. And I tried to explain this already in, in parts one and two. These are not REM sleep dreams that Joseph had. They didn't have the scriptures back then. This is ancient time. This is, this is God showing up in a way and transporting Joseph to another place. Paul called it, whether in the flesh or in the spirit, I do not know, but I got caught up to the third heaven. Joseph had these dreams. There's no other way to interpret the word, but it wasn't a REM sleep dream. This was a vision straight from God written on his heart where he couldn't help but talk about it. And that's the same kind of thing that Nebuchadnezzar had. That's the same kind of thing that uh, other people in ancient times had. They were different type of visions. And I will tell you that we don't have those kind of dreams anymore. We have the Bible instead. Well, Chris, what about in the Middle East when they have a, a vision or a dream when they go to sleep that's so strong that they get up and they've met Jesus? They don't have the Bible. They have the Koran, much different. And no, that wasn't a REM sleep dream that Ahmed had that now he's walking with Jesus. That was a deeper vision that goes beyond just what we think of when we hear the word dreams. So I got a feeling that Joseph had to question what God had shown him in that vivid dream experience that he had when the brothers ripped off his coat of many colors and put him in the pit. And they ignored his pleas and they sold him into slavery. Joseph must have had his dreams shattered to pieces. So as we look at these verses today, I want you to see that it can teach us some stuff. Like, for example, life can be really unfair at times. It, te it teaches us that our dreams can be put to the test. And if God laid it on our heart, are we patient enough to watch him fulfill it? They, it teaches us that life doesn't always go the way we want it to. And it also teaches us the harsh nature of sin. And when it's allowed to reign in our hearts and our lives and in our fellowship. Stay with me on that. So as we look into these truths, I want you to get some help for your life from Joseph's life today. Okay? Let's get into point number one. Jacob's ask. Jacob's ask. Old Jacob, old Israel, he has a straightforward ask to Joseph, doesn't he? It's in verses 12 through 14. He wants him to go check on the welfare of his brothers. They're off, away from the family, doing the father's sheep. Now, there's a couple of reasons why Jacob made this request, okay? He had concerns about his son. Number one, they were in Shechem. Hope that pops off the scripture for you. They were in Shechem. That's the place that Simon and Levi had murdered the entire village to avenge the rape of their sister Diana in chapter 34. Look it up. Surely there was anger in that region towards the Jacob tribe, right? And he feared for their safety. Secondly, his sons had proven that they were not trustworthy. Joseph had already bring, had brought his father an evil report of some of the other brothers, what they were doing when they were tending the flocks. So Jacob sends Joseph because he can be trusted to do the right thing and tell his father the truth. Also, 
there's obviously confusion on Jacob's part. Jacob is out of touch with what's happening within his own family. He does not see the resentment that's been built up towards Joseph. See, this seems to be, if you look at it closely and understand the historical significance, this is Joseph's coming out party as the heir. He's taken over the family business right here. Are you ready? I'm ready, Dad. You see it? And so he wears that coat of many colors out to the fields. That's everybody. That's, this is the dude in the family now. This is the heir. This is the guy in charge. And he's going as brother and boss to see his brothers to check up on their work. Now, Jacob, I think, underestimated the fact that the brothers might be capable of harming Joseph. As, we were, as we'll see, they were not only capable of harming him, they were capable of attempted murder. See, they were caught deep in what I call a group think negative. I'm going to explain group think negative in just a minute, but just let's go to point two. In verses 13 through 17, we see Joseph's reaction. Joseph's reaction. It was immediate. Without question, Joseph accepts his father's assignment. Yeah, I'm ready. Coat him in the colors. I'm the boss now. Let's do this. And he had a confidence about him that is shown throughout his whole life, as we will see over the rest of this series, that is divine. And it's a lot like Jesus. See, when Jesus came into this world, he was sent by his father, but he came willingly. He came with confidence. Jesus did not have to be forced to come into this world to die for sinners. He came because it was Father's ordained and determined will. Our lives ought to be marked by the same level of obedience when God speaks. We should be, respond humbly and immediately to carry out his will. Nothing demonstrates our love for Jesus any more than our willing obedience to his will. Man, that idea makes some people who claim Christ mad. But an authentic Christ follower will be marked by wanting to do the Father's will, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it doesn't make sense. Two scriptures to back that up before we get back into our story today. 1 John 5, 2 through 3. The two verses, I should say. These two verses, it says this. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. Verse 3, for this is what the love for God is, to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a burden. You see that? They're not a burden. There's joy in our hearts serving Jesus. By the way, had Jacob and Joseph known that they were saying goodbye to each other, it wouldn't just be for a few days, but it would be for 20 years. Their parting may have been a little bit different, wouldn't it? That's why I'm kind of happy I don't really know the future. In verses 15 through 17, Joseph shows some persistence. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, he didn't find his brothers there. Now, if he's just going to do his dad a solid, that's fine. He'd probably head back home. Yeah, though they'd moved on. No, he's coming out. He's now the heir. He's the guy in charge. He's wearing the coat. So he finds out they're going to Dothan. He's going to keep moving on. He's going to keep doing his job faithfully, even if it only meant I was only supposed to go to Shechem and come back. No, I'm going to keep going all the way to Dothan. That's a lot of extra effort. He, Joseph, wanted to make sure that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. 
He had that level of integrity that showed up all throughout his life, and this is one of the spots you see it. And if you're not looking for it, you'll pass right by it. See, Joseph wanted to carry out the will of his father, even if it meant going beyond the original command. Again, Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to seek the lost sheep of Israel. He pursued them with a steadfast love, and they rejected him out of hand. He continued to pursue them, eventually dying on a cross, which opened the way to salvation for all who would come to him. Jesus was not deterred by man's rejection and hatred. He loved sinners and died to set them free. That should be our own desire of our hearts. And let me tell you something. You can't conjure it up, nor can I. But Jesus gives it to us majorly when we seek him. And then we have love we didn't even know we had. Then we have obedience that we didn't even think we could do. And that's what I want to be about. When I get to the end of my journey, I want to know that I did everything I could possibly do to the fullest extent. And there's already been dozens of issues over the last 20 years where I didn't do that. So the Bible says daily pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. If you pick up your cross every single day while denying yourself and following Jesus Christ, these things become less and less and less and less. And you want to know something? You don't even notice and you don't even care because you're so focused on the current contentment that comes from being in the will of God. Let's go on to point number three. Verses 18 through 30, this is, this is some big doings here. The brother's wickedness. The brother's wickedness. The brother's plot, they, they reveal it in these verses, 18 through 30. When Joseph arrives in Dothan, the brothers see him coming. Now the hatred they began in their heart, now it's fertile soil. And they'd grown to despise their brother. Had these men stopped when the sin started to grow in their own hearts, we might not have gotten here, but no, they started doing what I consider to be called groupthink. And there's two kinds of groupthink. There's groupthink negative and there's groupthink positive. Okay, ever been around people who start to chatter? And, and let's just stick with the negative for this example. About something or anything, and it just grows, doesn't it? It just grows. I'll give you an example. These, I'm going to give you three quick examples, and I know they're all lame, so just go with me. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise was a great actor in his day, and we all loved him until for one reason or another, all these young ladies started liking Tom Cruise, so all the guys would get into this group think negative about how we can't like Tom Cruise anymore. I like Tom Cruise, but there's a group of guys I'd never say that around. Let me give you another example for the new millennium. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber starts being loved by all these 12-year-old girls. So if you're a guy and you're in junior high, you can't like Justin Bieber. You have to put him down. And I think that the Biebs is totally misunderstood. <laughs> and now I'm going to give you one from my own background. When I was in high school and then when I uh, graduated high school and started uh, working uh, I was around a bunch of rockers. We were rockers, man. We, we went to Motley Crue and Ozzy and, and Rat, Van Halen. Yeah, that was our bands. I had hair down to here. We'd go to the concerts. It would be feathered. 
the back of my head looked like a butt. <laughs> Two, T, TMI? Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we had a group of guys who went really south on one song. And it was the song called Werewolves of London. You remember that song? Uh, Werewolves of London. So when we'd be at parties, when this song would come out, Emily's shaking her head. Anybody who liked that song because of our group Think Negative was immediately outcast as not being a real rocker. A real rocker would never really like that song. And so I'm working at a, at a restaurant in downtown Minneapolis called First Street Station. And I was a valet, and I was a bar back, and, and so at two in the morning, we're wiping down all the tables and everything, and we'd crank the music up, and that song came on, and one of my rocker friends also had a job there, and so I'm wiping tails down, and that song's on, and I'm just kind of singing along, and he's like, oh, oh, you actually like that song. You're not a real rocker. You get it? It's like group think negative had taken over this one issue with, with about 15 of my so-called friends. Where if you like that song, you are now on the outs. And we have that on full display with the brothers. I know those are lame examples, but keep in mind, when you get going on groupthink, groupthink positive can go the same way. How many of you are groupthink positives about the Kansas City Chiefs? Just wondering. You get what I'm saying? So these brothers have been going group think negative on Joseph since the dreams, since dad picked him to be the heir. And so they, if you will look at this, they are going to, in their hearts, they're going to want to kill Jesus. And in their hearts, they decide that that's what they're going to do in their group think negative. But what happens? There's two examples that show that there's some people that don't want to go along with the group think negative. One is Reuben and the other is Judah. And that's what happens in our society. When we get going on groupthink negative with something, it's hard to stand up even when you know groupthink negative is wrong. You won't stand up to them. You'll, you'll, you'll play and shake and shimmy a little bit. Look at what Reuben did. Reuben, Reuben wanted to try to uh, you just set him off to the side, and then Reuben was going to circle back and try to rescue him. Why couldn't he stand up to groupthink negative? Judah, he's like, no, 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 we, we should probably not kill him. Let's, you know, let's, let's sell him. Let's do something else. But the hatred of the brothers is evident to the fact that they were willing to go along with whatever the plan was because of their group think negative. What a wicked bunch of dudes this was. And even if you had a heart a little bit here and there like Reuben, what does it matter? If you don't have the wherewithal in yourself to stand up against groupthink negative in a situation where you know the word of God has spoken directly against it, then you find yourself in a place like America is in 2022. So, you see Judah's plan in verses 25 through 28. Reuben had to go elsewhere. And Joseph is sold for 20 pieces of silver in verse 28. They sold him for eight ounces of silver. That comes out, not silver, you know, not, not how many ounces of silver is going for how much today. I'm just talking about the currency of that day. That would have been about the level of 150 bucks today. For 150 bucks, the brothers are so unfeeling and filled with hatred for Joseph, they sell him and watch him get hauled away as a common slave. 
Again, Joseph is the picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was hated by his brethren. He was betrayed by someone who should have loved him, someone who walked with him for three years, but who always had a different motive for wanting to be around Jesus. And he was betrayed for the exact same price. Oh, you say it's 30 pieces of silver in the New Testament and 20 pieces of silver here. That was the price of a common slave in Jesus' day. And the Lord loved us so much that he endured the same shame, hatred, and still died to save people like you and people like me. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. In verse 29 and 30, we see Reuben's panic. And I see the panic in a lot of us when our eyes are open that we can't continue with groupthink negative when it goes against the word of God. And he finds Joseph gone. And he panics because he knows his father will blame him. Reuben has been on the outs with Jacob ever since he committed adultery with his father's concubine. These verses give us a little more hope that Reuben is trying to mature into something as a leader. And so when you and I have bumbled and stumbled and bounced around, today can be a new day for you. I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not. I'm talking about moving beyond what we experience in America to actually live like a remnant believer. Remnant believer means Jesus is going to save a small portion of people that are going to be especially for him. That's what the scriptures say. And you can be that. You can submit to that. Let's go on to point four. Jacob's sorrow. In verse 31, the brothers scheme and conspire together to cook up a plan. This time they're out to deceive their father. They take the despised coat and dip it into the blood of a goat and take home to Jacob. The robe, the coat of many colors. And one lie always leads to another. And when you tell an untruth, it'll not be long before you have to cover that by telling a second untruth. And then a third, then a fourth. And it's always this situation that creates a world where you can't be trusted. The best policy is to tell the truth regardless of personal cost. Because lies are so detrimental and so easily untangable, you know, you can untangle them pretty easy, you watch. 80% of your, 75 to 80% of your sitcoms that you watch, the plot line will be about somebody trying to not tell the truth or doesn't want to share the truth or doesn't want to tell exactly what happened. And they get busted in that. A lot of times that's where the writing goes. Anyway. Verse 32, we see no compassion for their father in their words. They bring him a blood-stained coat and they ask him to identify it. These guys have no heart. They care nothing but for themselves and their own advancement in the family. Now, if you understand the economics of the day, what these guys are doing is they're creating this lie so that they can move up in the family for a better inheritance. And the world is filled with people like that. They don't care who they have to step on to achieve their goals. They don't care what they have to do to reach the top of the heap. They care for nothing but their own way all the time. And they do not care who they hurt in the process. 
And something is definitely wrong with folks like that. Most likely, most likely, being a fruit inspector, not a judgmental person, they're probably not saved. But definitely, they are not displaying Christ-likeness in their life. That's easy to call. Our walk with the Lord is to be marked by a desire to place others above ourselves in Philippians chapter 2. Our walk is to be marked by a desire to ease the burden borne by others. That's what we're supposed to be known for, Galatians 6. Our walk is to be marked with Christ-like love for those around us. Just the whole book of 1 John, Matthew 22. So as we conclude today, as we bring it home, witnessing Jacob's sorrow, of course Jacob recognizes the coat, duh. He knows it belongs to Joseph, and he immediately assumes that his beloved son is dead, having been killed by wild animals. Jacob is heartbroken and falls into the depths of despair. And when I say those words to you, they fall flat, heartbroken, and in the depths of despair. It doesn't do justice to how deep this man was hurting. He refuses to be comforted by his family. He vows to grieve until the day that he can die and join Joseph. And these men look at their father, and they don't care. Their shame is on full display in verse 35. They even try to comfort their father a little bit. And in the end, their father was in better shape than they were. He lived every day with grief. But as we'll find out when the famine hits and they actually find out who Joseph is, they lived every day with guilt. The knowledge of what they had done ate at them until they faced Joseph with the truth years later. That's the power of guilt. It'll eat at you until the problem is dealt with. The best thing you can do with our wrongs is to try to make them right if you can. Blessed be the peacemakers. Those who seek righteousness also seek reconciliation. We need to be honest about our sins. And the only true way to get rid of guilt is by laying them down at the foot of the cross and having your whole life covered with the blood of Jesus Christ and your name written in the Lamb Book of Life. If you have stopped feeling guilty when you know you're wrong, that is a very serious place to be. It shows that you're not living with, listen to me now, it shows you're not living with a godly conscience. When the Bible says Jesus will transform your mind, he'll give you that conscience. There is a thing that the Apostle Paul says that we can cut and cauterize our conscience. I've, I've worked with people, I've seen people who they literally have no conscience. It's gone. Which means if you are in a Christian world and we start getting numb to the pains around us, which is common. If I told you right now that there was a school shooting, oh, that's bad. What's, what are we having for lunch? Why? Because we're so used to it. There's been so much of it. And so people who don't have that conscience, do they have the Lord? I'm just asking for a friend. Do they? Well, this is a sad spot to step out of the story. 
But Joseph is gone, sold as a slave, and headed off to Egypt in chains. Jacob is heartbroken and inconsolable. The beloved son of the wife, Rachel, his choice to be the head of the family upon his death is now gone. His brothers are guilty of a terrible sin against their brother, their father, the family of God. They are being eaten alive by guilt. A prosperous, promising family has been plunged into the depths of gloom and hopelessness. And it would appear that Joseph's great dreams, the vision that had to come from God himself, are now at an end. They'll never come to pass. At least that's what they think. See, behind the scenes of this tragedy moves an unseen hand of God's sovereignty. Don't miss this. What appears to be a hopeless situation is merely setting the stage for hope in the future. There's a word here for all of us. There will be times when things appear hopeless. There will be times when shattered pieces of dreams will lie all around us. In times like that, we must not despair. Oh, we'll, we'll kind of be despairing. No, we got to come up. We cannot despair. Okay, I'm standing upright. I'm not despairing. Okay, now it's Tuesday. Now it's Wednesday, and I'm starting to despair. No, we will not despair. We will ground ourselves in the Word of God and fix our eyes and set our face like flint with spines of steel towards the glory of Jesus Christ and His one day soon coming to take us home to glory. And that'll be in the forefront of our minds and in the forefront of our hearts, no matter what happens. Some of you may be right now contemplating in your heart some of the shattered dreams that you have. What are you going to do with those? Bring your shattered dreams to Jesus right now and let him give you help in dealing with them. Let him give you hope in hanging on to them. We do not want to miss Jesus in all of this. The people came to, uh, that he came to, the nation of Israel rejected him, pushed him away. They pushed him and pushed him and pushed him until they pushed him to an old rugged cross. Do you remember that, that phrase in the New Testament? When you read it, I, I want you to read it with a whole new light. I long to gather you as a hen gathers her checks, chicks, said the Lord Jesus Christ as he looked over at Jerusalem. And his heart was broken. And when they saw him die, they claimed victory. And his disciples grieved over a certain defeat. Soundly done. Just like Joseph's brothers, the very one they desired to kill turned out to be their savior. And three days later, victory became for all of us. Do you have any dreams you need help with today? Talk them over with Jesus. Talk them over with Jesus. This is a sanctuary place. The cushions are back up here for you to come and kneel. This is the altar that we have built that God has blessed. This is a place to come and deal with some of those things. By the way, if you see our cars here, you can come in on a Tuesday at 2 o'clock and pray. I've had a couple of people since I've been here, the year and a half I've been here, stop by in the middle of the day to pray. And I open the sanctuary up, and that's what it's here for. That's what we're here for. My phone is open to you 24-7. And I just want you to know that If you have any broken or shattered dreams, God is working behind the scenes, who knows? But his sovereignty over our life is such that we don't care. 
We want his will, not ours. And we say in our hearts, our hearts sing. We don't conjure it up. We just, our hearts sing, Lord. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you for spending your time with Mr. Bible Idiot, Chris Danielson. To learn more or to reach out to us, go to BibleIdiots.com. You can email us directly at chris at bibmediagroup.com, which is in the upper left-hand corner of the website. Another way to connect with us is our church app. Simply search Lifehouse Church Kansas in the App Store or Google Play Store. The Lifehouse app has an option to give to this outreach. Look for Bible Idiots under the giving module within the app. From all of us associated with the Bible Idiots brand, thanks for listening and please share this podcast with your world if the Lord leads you to do so. Many blessings. I'm Emily Danielson. May you get into the word of God today and go and serve your King.